Welcome to the Mindset Neuroscience Podcast. I'm Stephanie Fay, and I'll be sharing insights into how human brain architecture and biology are influenced by our unconscious fears and social behaviors. I'll also give you science-based strategies on how to skyrocket the brain's learning potential by focusing on the power of mindset, relationship, and psychological safety. Thanks for listening. In this episode, we're going to talk about outdated science and outdated information that has been passed down from previous generations and that we have been using to inform our learning environments and different kinds of decision making when it comes to human development and human behavior. And if we don't update our understanding of human behavior and development, we might be really missing the mark in terms of how to create change. So in terms of outdated information and science that has been passed down to us, the first is what we talked about in the first episode, that the brain is fixed. So that's just outdated science that we used to believe that the brain didn't really change much from childhood. There wasn't really growth of new kinds of neural circuitry that could be developed. And we now know that's not true. The brain is very experience dependent and very dependent on these serve and return dynamics and this social engagement and interactions that happen with us in our environment and other people. And that's what builds up our brain. Now, again, this is not to go to the extreme to say that genes don't matter. Obviously they do. They play an extremely important part in so many aspects of human behavior. But it is to say that the old science used to put way too much emphasis on genes and basically say that that was our destiny. So we're not going to go to any extreme on these fronts. It's nurture and nature. But the fact of the matter is, is with humans in particular and how our brains develop is that we are extremely nurture and experience dependent beings. And that is actually what is so amazing about the human brain that it really allows us to be that incredibly adaptive and flexible that we don't get what we get just when we're born. Because if that was the case, we wouldn't be able to manipulate and navigate multiple environments and ecosystems. And it would not allow us to have a very broad way of solving problems. And that's actually what allows us to be so adaptive. When we become less adaptive is when we stop being that flexible and we start repeating things over and over again in a very automated way. And what that means is that we're not flexing with the environment. We're not allowing new experiences to activate new neural circuitry that allows us to perceive things in a new way and create new movements to navigate and manipulate our environment. So that's the, the first area of outdated science that has been passed down to us. And previous generations have a much stronger belief in genes and how much they really dictate our destiny. And what we're seeing is that there is a really strong interplay between genes, genes laying the blueprint, but experience having a major, major impact on our brain development. And the thing that we have to remember is that experiences environment also occur in the womb. It's not just after we are born, but inside the womb, what happens to our mother and the stress hormones matter also. We even have seen in a few studies that, for example, women who were exposed to anxiety during very specific weeks of gestation, I believe it's 18 to 22 weeks of gestation, there is a, a higher incidence of ADHD above average levels in, in the eight or nine-year-old children that come from those mothers compared to women who had similar levels of anxiety, but at later weeks of 32 to 40 weeks in the gestation period, there is not the same high above average occurrence 
recurrence of ADHD in the children. That is one example of something that cannot be explained by genes alone. There has to be an interplay with the environment, and in this case, the womb and the, the amniotic fluid and the hormones and all of the stuff that's happening there. The fact is, is that there are certain influences that our conditions and environments do play on the synthesis of certain proteins in terms of the expression of certain genes. So the first area of outdated information is that the brain is fixed. The second area of outdated systems and structures that we're working with, and this really comes especially from the school and also the university department level, which is that there are isolated subjects and that these subject matters are isolated entities. Uh, let me just give you an example that math is a separate subject, history is a separate, separate subject, and we don't intermingle any of those subjects together as we learn. And part of this is actually going back to Carol Dweck's original wording in her research, which was that the fixed versus growth mindset, the original wording was entity versus incremental mindset. In this scenario, an entity mindset is basically saying that something has defined boundaries, defined borders that we can fill up and we can observe when it is completed. And that concept of having an entity of knowledge, an entity of information, basically it just doesn't make sense on a logical level because information and knowledge are, are just new combinations of data that are combining together to create more combinations of data. So it's a never-ending process. So that's the first aspect of that. The second is that something like math or language, because these are really just codes and symbols that we're using to reflect reality and reflect this idea that everything is movement and information flow. If we act as though math is a isolated entity with defined boundaries that we can complete in terms of a test or a grade or a subject, we are not really understanding what math is about because it's a reflection of reality and reality is constantly evolving. Where part of this comes from is already in the, at the university department level where we see really isolated entities of subject matter. The arts don't intermingle with the math or engineering departments. And then we see that very siloed, separated view of knowledge going into the school subject matter level. And what we see from innovation labs on the flip side, is they engage in something called anti-disciplinary thinking, which is where they are not looking at knowledge as these separated siloed disciplines, but that there are no boundaries and that the more cross-fertilization that happens from these different industries and areas of knowledge, the more new ideas start to happen. And part of that is coming back to that idea I was just talking about, which is that when we are constantly repeating the same type of reaction or response to something, it means that learning is not really happening. It's just repetition. And the one way to blow that out of the water is to activate new neural circuitry. And the best way to activate new neural circuitry is to expose ourselves to new data, new stimulus that we have not yet activated before. That is one of the, the ways that we can have new ideas and start to become more flexible in our ability to adapt and, and solve problems. So that's number two outdated way of looking at things and life and knowledge is to view things as these isolated entities rather than a word that I prefer is emergent. Emergent is more of a philosophical term that talks about things coming from complex systems, that there's no isolated unit that we can talk about that causes different effects, that there's a complex inter intertwined system. So 
knowledge and subjects are emergent rather than entity-based. So any kind of way that in whatever platform we're on in terms of learning, if you are in a learning environment, the best thing you can do is to have as many different anti-disciplinary things happening, which is not to say, because I have gotten feedback from this also from teachers, there is something to be said about mastery and there is something to be said about expertise and deep learning on one subject matter. So to understand the foundational skills of, say, a certain technique in art or music or math, to be siloed in that way to get the mastery and understanding of, of those foundational levels. But in terms of learning how to apply those things and become more sophisticated is to bring in other areas in order to inform that and to allow that to expand on itself. So we can even take, for example, learning music, you can bring in math to inform that, and that actually can allow for even deeper learning to happen, or vice versa. And then the third area of outdated information or systems that we're looking at is something that comes in a big part from the behaviorist model of human behavior. And these are the punish reward systems. And what we don't realize from that is that a lot of what we're doing when we're trying to influence change or even positive change in a classroom or community or home or life is we're using something called the stimulus response model. And that is to say that we tend to think there is some magic command, magic formula, or magic fix that can be applied to literally anybody, and that it's that specific command, formula, fix, prescription that will work for everybody across the board. And that is a stimulus response model, saying that you take any kind of stimulus and it will give this very specific response. And what that does is it ignores the organism. So a more evolved way of looking at this, a more evolved model is the stimulus organism response model, SOR, which is that we understand that we can have a stimulus, but there are pre-existing conditions and also temporary physiological states of an organism at any given time. And that is going to be what modifies or influences the response you get. So yes, you can add a certain stimulus, whether it's a technique of learning or a certain instruction or a prescription, whatever it is, but we have to acknowledge that Whatever that organism, in this case humans, when we're talking about human learning, that human's physiological state, which can be influenced by so many factors in a given moment, even things like adding a certain smell can make someone feel more or less generous. Adding heat to a room can make a person feel more or less affectionate or warm. There are a lot of unconscious triggers that change our physiological state. And that change in physiological state, our heart rate variability, all of those things, those are going to affect how we respond to a stimulus. So we need to acknowledge that a specific curriculum or teaching theory or formula or principle, whenever it becomes too prescriptive as though that is the magic formula, what could lead us down a path that makes it really ineffective is when we forget about what people's actual live state is in that moment and also their pre-existing brain architecture. So one example would be that in how we teach reading. If we act as though there's a very specific way to teach reading that works across the board, we're really denying the different neural circuitry that people have as they enter that learning environment. And everyone is going to have different exposure to the symbols and codes that represent the, what I call, sophisticated grunting that we have of language. The squiggles and lines on a page are something someone has to get exposed to in order to understand decoding and encoding of reading. 
if we just act as though there's a prescriptive way to do this, we don't acknowledge what a person's existing neural architecture is in terms of exposure to that code. And in that very specific moment, that person's physiological state is also going to be influenced by the boss, the supervisor, the teacher, the parent, whoever it is, those human interactions are also going to affect that person's capacity to learn in that moment. And specifically for human learning and development, the piece that is so important for that is the human interaction and the social connectedness and ability to to co-regulate with another person. If someone is not capable of feeling safe in the presence of the teacher, whether this is a supervisor, teacher, or leader, that person is not going to learn. So rather than applying just these punish reward models, we need to actually be looking at the relationship building. And that's what we see in a lot of education research is that the classrooms that focus very intently and intentionally on relationship building, those are ones where we see really positive outcomes in their learning and the different changes that they're trying to make. So we need to move away from this idea that there are prescriptions that are universal across the board, magic, quick fix formulas that work 100% of the time for 100% of people. We need to be much more adaptive and flexible in understanding that learning occurs when people feel safe, when they have a more down-regulated physiological state that is not recruiting their defensive sympathetic nervous system and getting them to feel mobilized and not in a state of anxiety or hyperarousal, but just the right amount of arousal. There's so many factors, and that sounds really overwhelming to think about if we're trying to create the right learning environments. But it's more to say that we need to just allow for learning environments to be more organic and in the moment. And one of those ways that we can do that is through this idea of project-based learning, having moments for that, having these cross-fertilization of different disciplines coming in, because all of those things are going to allow for each student to possibly have the right combination of ingredients that they need in a moment to learn, rather than everybody sitting in a chair learning exactly the same curriculum. That's obviously coming from the other really outdated model that we're working with, which is the factory model of school. And it value system that was important for a factory worker was compliance and obedience and the ability to replicate things in a very automated way according to a very specified standard, to never deviate from that standard. And so that system also dealt with this more behavioristic punish-reward stimulus response model, that there is a stimulus that you give and you get a certain response without thinking about how the specific organism, what their state is in that moment for learning. And even if you are not teaching in schools right now, if you are in a business or an organization, remember that you are dealing with people that came from that system, from that factory model of school. So you are dealing with the mindsets that came from that. So those are the three key areas. Brain is fixed. We know that we have more evolved knowledge on that, that it's malleable. Isolated subjects are more updated way to think of things in a more innovative way is that we need more cross-fertilization and diverse data, which also comes from having conversations with people who maybe we don't agree with and bringing in information from them to create new diversity in our neural circuitry. 
So having that, so anti-disciplinary thinking. Another outdated is the stimulus response model instead of the stimulus organism response. So to really understand that a person's physiological state in that very moment and their existing neural circuitry that comes from their experiences, those matter. So it might not be a magic formula and we need to be more organic and evolving and flexible as we help other people activate new neural circuitry. So that is the episode, and uh, I hope you found it helpful. And again, if you have any questions, you can email it to info at stephaniefayfrank.com. 